Knowing our story is stronger than military might. The Jews thought they were righteous. Moshe says that's not quite right. The nation is told to eat, be satisfied, then bless. We should second guess the origin of our success. Okay, and with that, um, this week's Parsha is Parshat Ekev. And we'll start with the name of the Parsha, Parshat Ekev. So Ekev means reward, and the Parsha begins by talking about all of the reward that uh, the Jewish people will get if they follow the mitzvot. However, Ekev could also mean a heel, and like on your foot, the, the heel of your foot. And uh, there's a few reasons why this double meaning exists. So I heard, so, so Rashi comments that heel is referring to those mitzvot that are trampled on by other people, that uh, are often neglected, that even though they're in the books, they're in the Torah, that they're not necessarily paid attention to much. Nobody cares about them. And Rabbi, Rabbi Wolby gives a fascinating insight into why exactly Rashi says that those mitzvot in particular, those mitzvot that are often trampled on, why are those mitzvot the ones that will be, um, you know, will will get the most reward for? And Rabbi Wolby says something fascinating here, that when a person does a mitzvah that is widely accepted as something that's very difficult and something that the community really honors, let's say someone all of a sudden decides you know, they're going to start um, keeping the Shabbat. That's a you know a major commitment. And uh, so, okay, so you decide that, and then all of a sudden, as a result, uh, people, you know, you start feeling so good about yourself that it runs overboard, that feeling of goodness, and all of a sudden, you uh, start looking down at other people that maybe don't follow that particular mitzvah that's so, so popular um, and so acknowledged. And as a result, you start looking down on those other people and feeling like you're better than them. And then you're almost in a worse place than you started because you started thinking, you know, you, you started by taking on a new mitzvah, but you ended by feeling like you're better than everybody else. That's even a, a worse starting point. So it's better that you take on mitzvot that are often trampled on, that are neglected, that aren't so in the spotlight. And when you take on those particular mitzvot, then it's not, you know, it's likely that you're not going to feel any kind of excitement, any kind of uh, energy, any kind of, you know, haughtiness or gaiva. Um, and as a result, um, you know, you're, you're most likely not going to feel like you're better than everybody else if you're doing those mitzvot that are often trampled on. Another interesting point I heard about why this double meaning of reward and heal is because basically your heel is you take a step, you know, you take a step with, uh, with, with your heel. And as a result, before you take a step, you should first consider, is this in line with, you know, the Torah? And yeah, I think that goes well with halacha, you know, halacha, Jewish law, but halacha really means kind of, um, uh, to go. It means, it means the way, the walk, to walk. And, um, as a result, basically the Torah kind of teaches you how to walk teaches you where to step, so to speak. And because of that, so before you take a step, you should first kind of look in the halacha and make sure that uh, that step is that step is uh, allowed. So two meanings, one of them, um, two meanings for why, two reasons for why we have akav, meaning reward and heal. One is because those are mitzvot that are neglected. And if we pick up those, neg those neglected mitzvot, then it's likely we're not going to feel better than anybody else. 
And the second reason being before we take a step with our heel, we should first consider if that's the correct uh, halacha. Okay, moving on. So, um, so uh, Moshe says that these nations, when the, the people are going to look into Israel and the, 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 the Jews are going to say, oh my goodness, these nations, they're more numerous than us. How is it possible we're going to be able to drive them out? So Moshe answers, he says, remember what Hashem did to you uh, in Egypt. And this is a little bit surprising. You know, you would think the answer to what are we going to do about these extremely numerous, strong nations that we have to try to kick out of Israel? You think the answer would be, well, we have, you know, the best warfare. We have the strongest armies. We have, you know, the most bombs, etc. The answer Rashi Moshe gives, though, is rather to remember um, you know, what Hashem did when he took you out of Egypt. And I think that this is a valuable lesson, that when we remember our history, when we remember who we were, when we remember, you know, our ups and downs, that at, will actually help us even more than knowing that we have a strong military. And uh, in fact, it's possible not to have a very strong military. You know, in this case, the, the Jews were less, were the, the, the nation's that were living in Israel at the time were more numerous than the Jewish people. But even regardless of that, the Jews had this history. The Jews had this connection uh, with, with Hashem that they knew that when they left Egypt, you know, that uh, all, the, all the miraculous things that happened there with the 10 plagues and, and the Kriya Yom Sof, uh, so because of all those miracles, um, it's, you know, um, as, a, as a result of all those miracles, we can kind of look back in our history and pull from our stories, and our narrative is even more valuable at times than our weaponry. And I think that that's a valuable lesson, that uh, when we're facing new challenges, as opposed to looking, okay, what do I have in the toolbox? It's even more valuable to look at our history, and think about our ups and downs, and know that at the end of the day that uh, we can persevere, we can we can get, uh, make it through this challenge. So moving on in the Parsha, so Moshe says that the Jews will take the land ma'at ma'at, meaning, you know, little by little. Um, and, and Moshe explains that this is, this is so the beasts don't end up filling the void. And I think that this is a, a great lesson for how to make changes in our lives. You know, instead of making uh, major, huge changes that, that, that run the risk of possibly creating power vacuums, it's it's uh, more prudent to be ma'at ma'at, make uh, little changes, little incremental changes. Ultimately, we'll be better off. And you can see here that had there been some major, huge, giant victory that kicked everybody out, all of a sudden, the wild animals would have kind of filled that power vacuum, so to speak, and, and the Jewish people would have had to deal with the wild animals. So it's better that it's ma'at ma'at, taken little by little, and uh, when you take it step by step in small proportions, there's a lot less likely to be that power vacuum where forces like wild animals in this case, but just other forces, other powers that you don't want there are able to fill that void. So if we take small changes, much more likely that we won't have those power vacuums and we'll be able to make real meaningful change. Moving on, so Moshe says that Hashem tested the Jewish people by giving them manna. And what's fascinating about this is why, you know, um, ma, ma, the, the man was a tremendous blessing. Uh, you know, it came every day. They didn't have to really work for it. It was any flavor, any type of food that they wanted. What, what, what's wrong? You know, why, why is this a test? It doesn't seem like a very hard test. So uh, the, the Torah and uh, Moshe himself explains why it's a test. Moshe says, 
he fed you uh, manna so you did not, that, that you didn't know, nor your ancestors knew. So this is what's such a big test. You know, even when we have unbelievable opportunities, even when we have great things coming to us, like, for example, the mun was something that was an amazing opportunity. It came to them every day. It was so easy. They could, you know, uh, make it taste like anything they wanted to. But the real challenge was the fact that they have never seen it and their ancestors never seen it. So as I spoke about before, you know, how do we overcome major challenges by looking at our history? But what's scary and what's particularly challenging is when we don't have any history, when it's the first time that's, you know, it's ever happened to us, you know, like the coronavirus, if pretty much anyone's living, anyone that's living has not lived through such a major, um, such a major health crisis before. And as a result, people don't really know what to do. Uh, you know, and it's been sort of learning uh, step by step. You, and and um, a similar thing is happening here. This mun, even though it's an amazing blessing, it's true, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. The reason why, why Moshe says that it's a test for the Jewish people is because they have no experience with it. And when you have no experience, it takes some time to, to be able to understand what it is. Um, and, and that's the test. When you're inexperienced, it's really a test to, to learn um, you know, how, how to deal with it correctly. Okay, so moving on to the Parsha. So Moshe says, just as a father chastises his son, uh, Shem will chastise you. So the Orachayim has an interesting um, a spin on this. And he says that, you know, a father only chastises his own son. He doesn't chastise, you know, any random boy walking down the street. Rather, only chastises his own son. And so too for us, that Hashem is really the reason he's chastising the Jewish people is because we're like, uh, you know, his own son, so to speak, that there's that kind of connection. And that's particularly why we get that tochacha, why we get that, uh, the, 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 that critique from God directly is because it's like we have that such a close relationship. Moving on. So um, there is a blessing in, the, in this, in this uh, parsha that, uh, that Israel will be a land that you eat bread without poverty. And Rabbi Bachia asks really a fascinating question. He says, how is it possible that you would have poverty if you have bread? And, you know, first of all, I think this question is, is uh, fascinating by itself because today bread is relatively inexpensive. It's very easy to get at the grocery store. And, um, you know, we don't even, it, it's something just to appreciate the fact that someone that has wild access, you know, unlimited access to bread in America um, could still be considered poor. Um, but, you know, in Rabbi Bachia's war world, he was saying that uh, if you have bread, by definition, you're not poor. Just an interesting uh, question. So he says, if you have bread, you're not poor. So why is it saying, why does the Parsha say that in Israel, you'll have bread without poverty? It seems like by definition, you would, ha you would have bread without poverty. So Rabbi Bachia answers that the poverty, it's not materialistic poverty, or rather it's spiritual poverty. So when we eat bread, of course, we have the, um, the birkat amazon, the, the benching after, after we eat bread. And, um, and those, you know, those places that lack that blessing in places and in cultures that don't have a way to appreciate the food that they ate, they're going to eat it and feel like they're spiritually lacking. But we have the benching, and because of that, uh, because of the Birkin Mazon, then we are uh, then then we'll eat bread and we won't be impoverished. Well, because we'll have that spiritual growth. Along a similar line, so 
it, uh, this parsha actually talks about the Birkat Mazon, and it says about the, the famous lines, Vachalta, Vesavata, Uverachta, that, um, that you'll eat and you'll become satisfied and then you'll, you'll bless Hashem. So I heard an interesting question here when it says Vesavata, that you'll become satisfied, that you'll become full. What's that referring to? Is that referring to eating, vachalta, or is that referring to the word after it, uverachta? Is that referring to, and you'll bless? So, on one hand, the simple understanding is certainly it's referring to you're going to eat, and then, okay, you're going to become full. But there's also a way that you could learn this to say that, no, what you're actually going to be full on is by blessing Hashem. And it's a wonderful lesson to learn that, you know, when we're thankful, you know, if, uh, if anyone's uh, written a very nice thankful, uh, a very nice thank you note, or has really appreciate their Akkorah Tov, their, their, their appreciation, they'll realize that there's a certain fulfillment that comes with that. There's kind of a wholesome feeling you get from, from thanking someone. And it's almost a, a, a feeling that you get that you become full in a way, you become satisfied when you think. And perhaps that's why um, there's a way to learn this vachalta v'savata uvarachta that the uvarach that the 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 savata that you'll become full is actually modifying uvarachta that you'll and you'll bless because when you bless you you're appreciative of all that you've been given and as a result of that appreciation then you'll become full. So you can, you know, there's two ways to become full. One is on materialistic things. One is by eating food. But the other way to become full is simply by being appreciative. And uh, it's worthwhile having that feeling, that, that wonderful, wholesome feeling of being thankful. Moving on. So uh, the Parsha says, Hu hanotain lacha koach la'asot chayel. And that means that it is he who gives you strength to make wealth. And um, this is this part of the, the Parsha is Moshe saying, don't think that it was your strength that made you wealth. Really, it was Hashem. He was the one that gave you the strength to make wealth. So I think that there's some important things to talk about here. First, that we often feel like our own strength is always our own. But we should really realize that where does that come from? That's not necessarily our own strength that... that uh, According to, to Moshe here, that uh, that strength, it comes from Hashem. So it's something that we have to be appreciative of. Secondly, though, so Moshe noticeably does not say that um, that uh, Hashem will make wealth for us. Rather, Hashem only gives us the strength to make wealth, but it's our job to translate that strength into wealth, to translate that strength into productivity. Um, so, you know, I think that this is a wonderful lesson that we, um, that, that first of all, who gives us the strength? It's Hashem that gives us the strength, and we should be appreciative of that strength. Um, but secondly, that uh, we're not given wealth from God. In fact, we have to work for it. That's something that, um, sure, we might be given the strength to do something productive, but just because we have the strength, that doesn't automatically translate to wealth. That's our job. So, you know, Hashem gets us most of the way there by giving us the, the strength to do it. But at the end of the day, we have to translate strength into productivity. So moving on. So Moshe, he says that um, you d- don't think that you acquired this land uh, from your own righteousness. Really, it was because of the, the Brit, uh, the, 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 uh, the covenant 
with the Avot. And, you know, and what's fascinating about this is this is not the normal response to good things happening to people. Usually when something good happens to someone, they say, of course it happened to me. I, I deserved it. You know, of course that good thing happened to me. It's because I was so righteous that I, I deserved it to have it happen. And on the other hand, when something bad happens to someone, they always, the common question is, why me? Why, why was it me that was chosen? And what, what Moshe is suggesting here is that we really, we should be asking that question, why me, when good things happen to us? When we accomplish great things, when we're given nice things, we should be asking that question, why me? And very likely, the answer to that question is really some other thing. You know, in this case, it wasn't their own righteousness that allowed them to possess the land of Israel. Really, it was because of their ancestors that they made the covenant with Hashem, and, and that's why they were able to, to enter Israel. But uh, important to recognize that when good things happen to us, when, you know, we have good favor, that as opposed to ask, saying, you know, of course it happened, it's because I'm righteous. Rather, we should be thinking, no, uh, you know, wh why wasn't me? And it's very likely that the reason that we were given such good things is something not necessarily because of our own merit, but something, you know, some other factor, maybe our ancestors or, or whatever the case may be. But uh, in a, it's a valuable to ask that question when we see success, to ask that question, why me? And to be appreciative uh, that, you know, as I spoke about, to be appreciative that Hashem ultimately gave us that strength uh, to get to where we are. Moving on, so, um, so Moshe says, what does Hashem ask of you? And he says, and, and the Torah says uh, that you should have a fear of heaven. And in Masechet Barachot, uh, they expound on this and they say that the um, that that everything is in the power of Shemayim. Everything's in the power of heaven, except for Yirat Shemayim, except for the fear of of heaven. And um, what's what's uh, interesting here is I think that this is true with a lot of things in life. That very often we don't necessarily have such control over everything that happens, with the exception of the ability to um, you know think about how we're going to react to it. What's our emotions going to be like? So very often things happen to us, things, you know, whatever, it, it's, it rains, uh, someone cuts us off, whatever, things that are beyond our control happen to us. And as a result, it's important, um, you know, for us just to think about how am I going to react to it? That's what really we have the power to do. And that's what the Masechat Brochot is, is talking about here, that we have the power um, that, that everything is, is in the power of heaven, that we really don't necessarily have total control over everything that's going to happen in the world. Rather, all we have true control over is whether what our, what our emotion is going to be like, whether we're going to have a fear of heaven or whether we are, um, you know, just going to uh, feel totally, feel some other type of way. So ultimately, while we don't necessarily have total control over all the things, you know, all the things that happen to us, we do have control over the emotions, over how we feel about them. Moving on, so the Torah says, uh, or Moshe says that you should circumcise your heart and remove your stiff neck. And uh, the Ramban says a fascinating piece here, that these are two obstacles to changing. First is circumcising your heart, taking the orla, taking the, the, uh, the foreskin off of your heart, and the Rambam translates that as basically that we don't get the message, that there's something that's blocking um, our receptiveness. There's something that's blocking our heart. There's something that's, you know, stopping us from taking the message in. 
And secondly, um, so, so the, then, then the Ramban goes on to say that what does a stiff neck mean? That means that you're not willing to change. So according to the Ramban, two steps to making a change. The first step is we have to, you know, take away those barriers that are stopping us from getting the message. And then secondly, once we get the message, we have to remove our stiff neck. We have to be willing to make a change. Moving on. So I talked about how, or, or, um, so the, the Parsha goes on to say that in Mitzrayim, the crops, they were watered by foot. You had to actually take, you know, buckets of water and pour them and, and water your crops that way. But Moshe explains that in Eretz Yisrael, because of the mountains, um, it's that, that in Eretz Yisrael, it rains and you won't have to water your crops on foot. Rather, it's just going to rain. And uh, I think what's particularly special about Israel compared to, to Mitzrayim, compared to Egypt, is that rain, when it rains, then there's less room for, you know, for farmers to say, really, it was me. Really, it was because I spent so much time watering, you know, watering all my plants. In Israel, it's clear that that rain didn't come from them and goes along with that message that I've been talking about really all partial along, that when good things happen to us, um, it, it's not necessarily because of our own merit. Maybe it's because of some other merit that happened before us or, or is tangential, and we should simply be appreciative and ahead of, uh, you know, um, extreme gratitude and accord for, for all those good things that happened to us, like rain. Moving on, so we get to the second paragraph of Shema, and I heard from Rabbi Wolby an interesting uh, piece here that, so the in the first paragraph of Shema, it says, Vishamtam vanacha vidibartabam, that you should teach your you should teach to your children and speak words of Torah. However, in the second paragraph of the Shema, it says, "Benechem ledaber," that in in your children. And your, your, your children will, will speak. Your children uh, will speak words of Torah. So what's the difference? So, um, so uh, Rabbi Wolby says the difference is in the first paragraph, when you're first teaching, the, the stages of teaching is simply that you have to teach and then you also have to speak words of Torah. But ultimately, the end goal of teaching is in the second paragraph where you teach your children, but they are the ones that are giving their own words of Torah. They're the ones in the end that are speaking on their own, that don't need, your, that don't need you to speak anymore, that have their own light, that have their own um, you know, interpretations of the Torah, and they're willing, to, they're, they're willing and they're able to carry on you know, that, that legacy of, of speaking Torah, even without you being there to speak Torah, that they're willing... They're, they're, they're able to speak words of Torah simply by the way that you taught them uh, in the beginning. So, okay, so uh, to recap what I spoke about, I started with the name of the Parsha, Parshat Ekev. And Ekev could mean reward, reward for doing all the mitzvot, but it, all could, it also could mean heel, like the heel on your foot. So I gave two possible reasons for why there's this double meaning. The first, Rashi explains, is because um, it's to observe, it's talking about you'll get extra reward for observing those mitzvot that are often neglected. And Rabbi Wolby says, why is this? He says, it's because when you do mitzvot that are neglected, you're not going to feel so haughty. You're not going to feel such gaiva, such uh, that, 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 you know, you, 
accomplished so much, that you're so accomplished and you're better than everybody else. Rather, when you do mitzvot that are often trampled on and are neglected, you're just doing the mitzvah because you want to fulfill the, fulfill the mitzvah. And it's not going to make you have that terrible feeling that you're better than anybody else. You're doing it simply uh, to, to fulfill that, mitzvah, that particular mitzvah. So moving on, um, the, the second reason uh, for why this double meaning of akev is because uh, before you take a step, you should consider what the Torah says about it. And that kind of goes with halacha. You know, halacha is, does mean laws, but it also could mean uh, walking, the way that we walk. So before we take a step, we should first consider, uh, you know, where we're stepping and whether the Torah permits it. Okay, moving on. Um, so the Parsha says that these nations, they're more numerous. Um, they're, when when, when uh, the when the Jews say, look into Israel, and they say, oh my goodness, these nations in Israel, they're more numerous than us. How is it possible we're going to drive them out? So Moshe's response is that, you should remember what Hashem did to you in, in Egypt. Remember the ten plagues, remember Kriyat Yamsuf, etc. And as by remembering those things, um the by remembering our story, by remembering what Hashem did for us in Egypt, it's even stronger than our military might. So instead of saying instead of Moshe saying, How are we gonna, you know, overcome these nations, instead of Moshe telling the people, Well, you have, you know, the strongest military, you have the most bombs, you have you know, the most horses, you'll, you'll be fine. Uh, no, rather, the, the real answer is that we should look at our history. And our history, who we are, where we came from, our, our narrative, that's even more powerful and um, more potent than just having, you know, the right, uh, the right military equipment. So knowing our history, knowing our narrative, knowing who we came, where we came from, that can even be a stronger, um, a, a stronger military force than simply just having all the right military equipment. Moving on, so Moshe says that um, the Jews will take the land ma'at ma'at, that they'll take it little by little, and I talked about the importance of making changes little by little, because when we take changes little by little, there's a lot less room for power vacuums. That if there's some major change, all these other forces, in this case, uh, Moshe says there's going to be wild beasts that come and fill the land, or whatever that force might be, um, that if there's some massive victory, some massive change we make, it's, the result is it's just going to be filled by other, um, other powers that we don't have control over. Rather, when we take it little by little, when we make small incremental changes, it's much more likely that we'll be able to have sustained um, and more meaningful change. Moving on, so Hashem, he tests the Jews by giving them uh, the man. And there's an obvious question here, wait, how is the, the manna, how is that a test? So Moshe answers, Moshe gives an answer to this, why it's a test. He says, um, he, Hashem fed you manna that you did not know, nor did your ancestors know. And that's the test. Because when we have something that is new, when we have something that there's no history to rely on, as I spoke about before, that, you know, that uh, knowing our history is even more powerful than having a strong military. So in this case here, if we've never seen manna, the Jewish people have never seen man before. And even though it's a tremendous gift, it comes every day, it tastes like whatever you want it to taste like. Um, 
even though it's a tremendous gift, because it's new, because there's something unknown about it, because you didn't know about it, because your ancestors didn't know about it, that's what the real test is. And as I said with COVID that, you know, there's a lot of, we've, our, almost no one living has been through a major, major health crisis before, and that's why it's so new, it's so novel, and uh, we have nothing to really rely on. Same thing with the internet, you know, the inter internet is such a newfangled uh, thing, it's relatively pretty much only in our generation that it's been, a lot, been around, and it's so new that, you know, it's, certain parts of it are scary, certain parts of it are a test. Uh, how are we going to use it? Are we going to use it for good or are we going to use it for bad? And same thing with the mana that are, because it's new, because we don't really know how to use it correctly, uh, which way is it going to go, good or bad? Moving on. So um, the Parsha says, just as a father chastises his son, Hashem will chastise you. And I talked about that Orachayim that says the father, he only chastises his own son, not somebody else's son. Therefore, that's really the strong connection that we have with God, that God is willing only to give us tochacha, only, only willing to give us rebuke, but not the other nations because there's such a close relationship. Moving on, so Israel is, um, so, so the Parsha says that Israel is a land uh, where, you, where you will eat bread without poverty. And Rabbi Bachia asks, wait a minute, if you have bread, then you're not poor. And I said, first of all, that's an interesting thing to say because in America, bread is so widely available that, you know, you could still be poor even if you have bread. Um, but, you know, so it's a, an interesting question uh, on that front. But also, so Rabbi Bachi answers, it's not talking about poverty in the, in the physical sense, in the materialistic sense, that you won't have enough food to eat. Rather, it's that the Jews won't, that, that um, in Israel, you'll eat bread and then you'll have the, you'll have the Birkat Amazon to say, so you're not going to be uh, poor spiritually. You'll have spiritual growth, spiritual fulfillness. Uh, by giving the, um, by, by, by saying the Birkat Amazon, and therefore you'll eat bread and it won't be with poverty because you'll have uh, that, that way to say your appreciation in the Birkat Amazon. Moving on to the Birkat Amazon, so the Parsha says, Vachalta um, Vesavata Uverachta, that the Jews will eat and they'll become satisfied and they'll bless Hashem. And I talked about what's that Vesavata, the, that, um, and you'll, and you'll become satisfied. What's that modifying? Is it saying that when you eat, you'll become satisfied? That's definitely the simple understanding. But there's also a way to understand it that when you bless, you'll become satisfied. And I said, when a person's truly thankful, they get this warm feeling in their heart. They, when, when someone's really appreciative and thankful, it just makes you feel good when you're appreciative. When you, when you give the proper hakorda tov, when you give proper acknowledgement, to, to all the good that happened, it'll make you feel good inside and it'll make you feel satisfied. So there's two ways to be satisfied, not just on food. You could also be satisfied uh, by blessing and by being appreciative. Moving on. So I talked about the, the Pasuk that says, that, um, that it is Hashem who gives you the strength to make wealth. So first I spoke about how, you know, we might think that it was our strength that made the wealth, but really we have to be appreciative that, no, that strength is coming from somewhere else, that strength is coming from Hashem, that we should be appreciative for it. But secondly, Hashem only gives us strength. He doesn't give us wealth, and it's our job, it's our mission to make, turn that strength into something productive. So just because we have strength doesn't mean it's going to be used productively, and it's our job to turn that koach into chayel. Um, moving on. So Moshe says that 
he tells the Jewish people that you shouldn't think that it was your own righteousness that brought you to possess the land of Israel. Really, it was actually because of the Brit, the, the, the Brit that, um, that the Avot made. So really, it was because of that covenant that uh, your ancestors made. And what's fascinating here is uh, that, that Rashi challenges, or sorry, that Moshe challenges the Jewish people to say that when good things happen to us, we should first think, my goodness, why did, so why me? Why me? That's a question we don't ask enough when good things happen. We think when good things happen, it must be because I'm righteous enough. We don't, we don't inquire, why me? And very likely we'll find the reason is because, if, you know, it wasn't because of our own merit. It really was because of our ancestors. It was, or it was because of some other tangential thing. And, if we'd be more cognizant of that fact, we'd be even more appreciative of all the good things that happened to us because we realize not all those good things that happened to us are because of our merit, but rather they're some, from some other source uh, from Hashem that, you know, the, and, and that's why we should be extra appreciative. Moving on. So um, Moshe says, what does Hashem ask of you? And Moshe says to fear heaven. And the Masechet Brochot, um, the Talmud explains that uh, everything is in the power of heaven except for fear of heaven. And um, what's particularly interesting about this is that this is really true for life. You know, a lot of the times we don't necessarily have control over everything that happens to us. But what we always have control over is how we react to it. And that's a valuable lesson that while we don't necessarily, you know, control everything um, and, and everything that happens to us, we can always monitor and make sure that we're, we're, uh, we have the proper fear of heaven and we have the proper emotions um, of how to react to every circumstance that comes our way. Moving on, so, the, so Moshe says that you should circumcise your heart and remove your stiff neck. And the Ramban says that this is two stage, there's two stages here to make a real change. The two, two challenges to making a change. The first challenge is, is uh, circumcising your heart, which the Ravan explains is basically your ability to receive a message. Once you circumcise your heart, then you're more receptible uh, to, to taking messages. But then he says, the Ramban says that there's a second step that um, even once we get a message, we then have to be willing to change. We have to remove our stiff neck. So moving on. So the Parsha says, Moshe says, in Mitzrayim, you had to water your crops using, you know, by foot. You had to actually basically take, uh, you know, um, you, you had to take water and physically walk and water all your crops. But in Eretz Yisrael, because of the mountains, uh, it rains. And what's fascinating here is that there's less room when it rains to say, ah, this was me. You know, and that goes along with what I was saying, how important it is uh, to feel that not everything the good that happens to us is necessarily because of our merit. And, um, and that's the case here, that the Jewish farmers in the land of Israel, now that it's raining, um, they have to realize that they didn't totally have every, you know, that they weren't totally in charge of making this plant grow. Really, it was Hashem. Really, it was something that was beyond uh, their own control. But in, in, in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, they might have thought that because they were watering the crops themselves, that they were the ones in charge. But really, in Israel, it's very clear that when it's raining, that they have a little bit less control and less room to say, ah, this was me. Moving to my last point of the Shema, the second paragraph of the Shema. So the first paragraph of the, of the Shema says, um, uh, says that you should teach to your children and speak words of Torah. And in the second 
uh, paragraph of the Shema, it says, "Benechem ledaber," that you will, um, that to your children they will speak, and or so, so your children will speak words of Torah. And what's the difference that Rabbi Wolvi says is that the first paragraph of the Shema is the first step of teaching, that you have to be the one that actually speaks words of Torah. But ultimately, a truly great teacher is someone where their students, where their children, that they'll be able to speak words of Torah on their own independently. And with that, I'll read my poem. Okay, so knowing our story is stronger than military might. The Jews thought they were righteous, Moshe says that's not quite right. The nation is told to eat, be satisfied, then bless. We should second guess the origin of our success. And with that, l'chaim l'chaim.